Welcome to Squick Me Not. I'm Pixie. And I'm Squid. And this is the podcast where we talk about all forms of sexy and adult literature. Uh, how, how are you? How are you doing today, Squid? Oh, well, coming off of a fantastic migraine experience of death, uh, but otherwise, I'm uh, I'm peachy. I'm I'm feeling a bit better, and uh, I'm ready to talk about some raunchy things. Well, not not too raunchy, considering we are still talking about uh, a YA series, but I mean, a little bit raunchy. Just a little, just like you know. As a treat. Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about why it feels raunchy, even when it's not, so. It does, uh, it does drip with sexual energy. It really does. Despite the lack of there being a single solitary sex scene in this book, uh, there is lots of kissing, though. I will say that there is a lot of kissing. Yeah, there's some smooches. But it's like, it's really sensual kissing, too. It's not like, oh, a peck on the lips. It's like, oh, my whole body melted into his embrace and the world shifted beneath my feet level of kissing. And you're like, <laughs> okay, girl. Good for you. Also, calm down. This is YA. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like this is, um, like, porn for teens, essentially. Yeah, it's like, it's like if you took out... If you took out all of the, like, sex parts, but left all of the, like, really horny aspects, yeah, <laughs> it, it's basically that, yes. <laughs> so, okay, um, like, if you took, uh, like, say you had a short film where yeah. uh, this girl orders a pizza, but then when the pizza arrives, she can't pay for the pizza, and then she's like... Uh, maybe there's another way that I can pay for the pizza. And the guy's like, well, I'm sure that that can be arranged. And then he goes in and it fades to black and that's the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, it's kind of like every sort of like non-sexual BDSM thing you can think of. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, Where like, there's like, no sex involved. Like Shibari, beautiful. Uh, kind of sexy, kind of hot, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Not... It's not sex, per se. Yeah, so, like, no sex happens, but it's, like, you could you could totally see these books having sex. It, they just don't, but it feels uh, like they, they should. Yeah, like, there are moments where you're like, are we about to have a fade to black? Holy shit, teens, <laughs> please. I, I'm old, Ooh. I can't handle this. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't when I first read this. I was that age when I first read this. Yeah, maybe a, and, maybe uh, a bit younger. Probably but. me as well. I I don't remember how old I was when I first read these, but I was probably a teen. Yeah, I know I was a teen. Uh, I a friend lent them to me, and honestly, bless. Um, and yeah, no, I I like I have literally been thinking about these books since I was a teenager. Teenager. Yeah. So oh, it's yeah yeah <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> So, uh, for those uh, listeners who have not listened to the previous episodes, um, we are talking about the book uh, The Forbidden Game by L.J. Smith. 
It is a series, it's a trilogy of three YA horror novels that are just dripping with sensuality. And, and also on- go pretty hard on the horror too, honestly. Oh yeah, there's some really scary stuff in there. I mean, scary for like a young audience. I I didn't necessarily find them frightening as an adult, but there is definitely some stuff that got my heart racing and maybe be like, wow, that was a really that's really effective like yeah. atmospheric horror writing. Oh um, yeah. I mean, there are a few instances there were a few though that I think like like uh in the first book with the plant scene, that was that would that one hit. That one hit hard. <laughs> <laughs> the, no, yeah, the plant scene for sure. Uh, and the messy room scene as well. Uh, yes. But we're on book two now, The Chase. We so are. Before we before we jump into The Chase, Squid, do you want to kind of recap just a brief summary of what happened in book one so that oh. our listeners are on the same page? Okay, so book one. Here we go. Uh, we <laughs> meet Jenny and she's all like, oh. I have to throw the perfect, perfect birthday party for my hot, dreamy boyfriend that I've known since second grade. And girl, please, please date other people. Side tangent, sorry. (laughs) Back on track. And she goes to the shop and she meets this uh, mysterious stranger who's very, like, ethereally beautiful. Just out of this world. I'm not sure he's human level beautiful. Uh, Spoiler, he's not. And... She gets this game from him, and she brings it back to her house. And this game is, like, calling to her. Like, literally calling to her. She's, she's like, I feel compelled to buy this and bring it home. Uh, rule number one, kids, don't. No, absolutely don't. do not. <laughs> do not. Friends out there, listeners, if you find a board game in a clearly cursed shop with a person who looks like they may or may not be fully human... Don't don't bring that home. Do not play that game. Uh, and they build like and like the game is like this little this little paper house you put together and you put your fears on these little pieces of paper and you draw your face onto the little characters and you stick it in the house. And next thing you know, they're literally in the house. Naturally. They're, yeah, they're no longer in our world. They're in the shadow world. Because this is essentially sexy Jumanji. Yeah, um, which honestly, I'm here for. Oh, me and too. Uh, Same. they they like work through their fears. Um, one of the characters dies. Yes, uh, summer. We, do, we lose summer. Yeah, sweet cinnamon roll summer. Uh, and she beats the game by tricking our main antagonist Julian and like sealing him in the cupboard within the house. And they escape the game and like the last part of the book is the game getting stolen from her house while they are like about to go call the police because hey summer's dead (laughs) don't know how we're gonna explain that and they're like well we'll just tell them the truth because that'll go great yeah uh sorry officer our friend died in a supernatural board game that sucked us into it while we were being like tortured by a shadow being yeah and they're going to definitely look at you and go oh wow Yes, I totally believe that happened. And that's where we start <laughs> book two. <laughs> that's right. So book book two, obviously, as we can guess, um, Julian is not defeated entirely because he was still he was trapped in the game, but somebody else has has stolen the game. So Yeah, and it's not like he died. He was just no. like 
sealed behind a door temporarily until someone opens the door. That's right. He was locked in a in a closet, essentially, um, or a small room. But <laughs> sorry, my brain just went. He just needs to come out of the closet now, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, I'm so queer. I'm so sorry. I can't not make that joke. I'm literally incapable. <laughs> I mean, it's, that's fine. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm sorry for cutting you off. <laughs> oh, no, don't be. Never be sorry for that. I mean, honestly, and I was thinking this today, I was thinking, do you know um, what our podcast could use more of is that chaotic energy of just like absolutely going off track and rambling. You Wait, and I we, are We're so... not already doing that? <laughs> no, we are so on track. <laughs> oh, well... Honestly, good for us. Uh, it's probably the only place in our lives where we are. So, <laughs> Oh, right? I, I can't stay on track for anything else, but I can definitely stay on track to talk about a sexy book. True facts. Truer mm-hmm. facts have never been spoken. So yes, by all means, please interrupt all you like. Um, we start book one, or sorry, book two. We start chapter one of book two with a character that didn't, appear in book one this is a character named gordy and we get this scene uh gordy is kind of a a miniature serial killer in the making oh yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean we she does a great job of like just creating this like yes this young man needs um psychiatric help, help and maybe to not be around weapons yeah, Mr. I like torturing animals while I hunt. Precisely, we get this scene, and it's from Gordy's perspective. He is a teenager who loves hunting, maybe a little bit too much because he really loves the kill. And um, yeah, just isn't, lo- isn't there a moment where he's like, "I love seeing like the light go out in their eyes" or something? Like it's it's very unsettling. Yeah, and he talks about how he goes out of his way to hit cats with his car and stuff like that. It's just like, actually quite disturbing writing, which is very effective. Yeah, Um, it's like, it was actually really like an upsetting chapter to read just because he's like talking about like how he enjoys to like hurt and maim animals. And so for like any animal lovers out there, uh, heads up on that, because it really is a really difficult chapter to get through on that level of like, hey man, could you maybe not do that and talk about it so graphically? Because I don't like you doing that. <laughs> it's very upsetting. <laughs> but it does end with hi- with him having the tables flipped on him, because the it end does, of yes. the scene, um, we just see him being stalked and then uh, taken down by a large predatory animal. So, I mean, it's it's effective writing in that sense that it sets him up as like this predatory person and then has him uh, become prey. Yes, and, and in a way where it's like, even in the book, I think he acknowledges the fact that he's like, whatever is after, like he's suddenly like, oh, whatever is after me is way scarier than anything I have ever done, basically. And yeah. which I think is like a really neat, narrative choice to sort of set up like this idea that like yeah there are monstrous humans and that like whoever attacked him is monstrous even beyond that yeah and it really sets up that we have monsters in play obviously since this is book two in a trilogy we know that julian's probably coming back in this book 
So this really and sets the And thank God, stage. honestly, I just, <laughs> like, sometimes you just need, like, that little bit of, I don't know, pizzazz. Uh, and he and just... Julian has a lot of pizzazz. Oh, yeah, he just walks into every single scene and owns, like, every moment does. of he every does. scene He's that he is fantastic in. fantastic at that. Yeah. Uh, but then we cut to Jenny. And um, Jenny is telling the police about what <laughs> happened, which is the weirdest choice I think these kids have made in the entire series. Yeah, I, I have to admit, when they're like, we're just going to tell them the truth, and I was just like... Oh, you can tell this was written in the 90s. Because um, <laughs> I feel like there's not a single youth today who would do that. I, I would like to no. think that the youths of today would be like, no, I'm not telling the police anything. <laughs> or they'd be like, I'm making something up. I'm not crazy. <laughs> They're not going to believe that. The 90s definitely had a lot of um, kind of propaganda aimed at teens. Like that whole like cops are your friend you can trust them stuff like in oh yeah pretty much everything yeah it, every show <clears throat> for kids there's like the friendly cop character uh like they would even like come to your school and like talk to kids and stuff and yeah it's just like if i were an adult person <laughs> And a bunch of hysterical <laughs> teenagers came to me saying, our friend is dead and was murdered by a magic game with a magic house in it. I'd be a little skeptical. Just just maybe a little bit. Just you know, a little. It... <laughs> um, we also meet a new character, uh, a young girl who is very upset because the people, the two kids that stole the game are also missing. And are kind of being blamed for the disappearance of Summer by a lot of people. Um, so we have that kind of an emotional moment. But then this scene ends with Jenny getting a phone call. This introduces one of the recurring like horror elements to this book. Uh, these mysterious phone calls that she picks it up and it's just static. Yeah, now for people who have, uh, who have never had a landline... <laughs> or, like, are not f as familiar with what it is like to have a landline. Maybe you're, like, in your 20s or something. Uh, and your family was, like, already, like, cell phones, ahoy. Or you don't remember because you were younger. Um, for a payphone to ring is an extremely unusual thing. That's right. It is a payphone that she gets this call on. Payphones generally don't ring. They can. You can call a payphone. But... You would usually you would set it up like, oh, call me at this time because I'm going to be there. Yes. It would not be something that would just like ring out of nowhere. Yeah. And it's in her high school too, isn't it? When she hears that. I believe it is in yes. her actual high school. Uh, yeah, My yeah. high school had a payphone. Um, and yeah, like the idea of like walking past a payphone in a hallway and having it ring is incredibly creepy when you know they're not supposed to <laughs> yeah it's very creepy i mean it also kind of comes with a stalkerish vibe because 
you didn't tell someone you would be here, but they knew to call the payphone when you were near it. Um, yeah, yeah, the whole, I was walking past, and, like, right as your body aligns with the payphone, it starts ringing, is, uh, that's creepy. Yeah, that's so she, creepy. she answers it, and she just gets static, and she kind of hears some mumbling of, of some words she can't quite make out, and that is it. And that's, that's a recurring thing throughout the book, and honestly, I found that very effective, like, spooky writing. I, I thought yeah. that was really good. Well, and it is, too, because, um, I mean, it was also a thing that, like, several horror films have done. I mean, there's... yes. Yes. Things like, what is it, like, The Ring and, I think, The Scream movies, maybe? Um, I, I want to say The Scream movies. I, yeah. Full disclosure, I... Horror films, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> full disclosure, I did not watch much or any horror when I was a teenager because I was a scaredy cat. Oh, and, hard same. I was an uh, absolute, I, absolute baby about it. I was scared to watch them. Uh, horror is a genre I've only very recently been starting to dig into, but... So I haven't uh, watched a lot of those classic horror movies like the Scream movies or The Ring or any of them. So uh, a lot of horror tropes that horror fans are probably going to be like, oh, that's been done to death. I'm going to see them and be like, oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, yeah. For us who are not like, oh, we watch so much horror like growing up that we'd be like yeah yeah the old payphone trick for us we're like oh that is actually very unsettling yeah and and i think that it's a good it's it's interesting um coming to these tropes as someone who is quite fresh to horror because uh, um i'm reacting to them as someone who has not encountered them over and over again so yes which Just, I think would be true for a lot of teens who might be reading it, too, maybe. Yes, yes, exactly. I mean, I am would have been the case when I read these, for sure. Yeah. Um, but that's the end of that chapter, and then we move into chapter two. Uh, and yes, and just to clarify, the police do not, in fact, believe them and think they're what, like, oh, having no, a mass hallucination brought on <laughs> by a traumatic event. And I'm just like... Yeah, okay, that sounds like fake psychology, but sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, like, mass hallucination, that's totally a, a thing that happens a lot. Honestly, if I was the parents or the, like, any authority figures involved in something like this, I would probably assume they were on drugs. That would Which, be Which, I think they also did that, too. <laughs> They're like, were you on drugs? Like, no, we weren't on drugs, we weren't drinking. I, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, She got sure. eaten by the house, and they're just like... <laughs> <laughs> so we have drug tests here right <laughs> like yeah like everyone's just like why would you lie about this and like we're not lying and i mean obviously summer summer's parents are really upset because their daughter's dead and or at least well in their mind she's missing yeah they they don't know she's dead they know that kids yeah. are saying she's dead but the kids yeah. are also saying she died in a uh, mysterious house yeah so they're a little bit like why would you lie about her being dead she's just missing like what happened here what did you do to her um yeah it's 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 pretty it's pretty hard to to read at times because you can see like these kids have just been through something horrifically traumatic and like all these adults are like accusing them of like lying about it or making things up uh, i believe it is only d's grandmother 
who believes them. We we move through that. Uh, the kids are like, you know, they're getting together on the school field and they're like discussing things. Um, but Tom has been acting a little weird. Uh, so, he sure has. And here we come to, uh, once again, you're going to hear a lot of this this episode. We fucking can't stand Tom. I'm sorry. He's, he sucks. He's such a little baby. He so, is. Tom is still really pouty about the fact that Jenny uh, promised herself to Julian in order to get them to, uh, yeah. to escape him. Like, instead of looking at this as her tricking Julian to save their lives, he is looking at this as if she really did want to, but then, like, I don't know, changed her mind. I don't really, like, it, it's such a, like, freaking juvenile, it's very teenager. Um, which I, is, it's he so is a teenager. teenager, but, like, he's acting like she wanted to actually go with Julian, and maybe on some level she kind of did. But, like, she still chose to save him. So I'm like, what is, why? So he's just, like, avoiding her? Because he's, like, decided that he's, like, they're not working or something? I don't really get it. Yeah, so they're, like, the the group is kind of getting together to discuss things. And Tom's not showing up to a lot of these. But then we see, like, it'll shift to Tom's perspective. And he's like just watching her forlornly from a distance because oh, he doesn't yeah. feel man enough to be with her it anymore. Is, it is full-on grayscale reigning with sad violin music around him. And I just can't stand it. <laughs> and you're just like, man, maybe instead of being like this, you could, I don't know, have a conversation and actually deal with your fucking feelings for five seconds. Yeah, but he's he's just, like, brooding. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he's doing it in a way that is, like, blatantly hurting her. Yeah, because she's wondering, like, why isn't he here? Why isn't he here with us? Why isn't he here for me? Yeah, like, she's really going through it right now for multiple reasons like she was like all like one of her friends died because she picked up that game and she is fully aware that they all suffered because like julian wanted her and it's like really eating her up inside and all she wants is for him to comfort her and he's just like time to you know be a broody baby about it yeah and to to tom's credit we do here get a little bit of finally some introspection from him because he saw the way julian was with her he saw the way julian was kind of seducing her and was trying to woo her and all the romantic things julian said to her and he's feeling like oh shit i haven't been there for her i haven't been that for her i haven't said those things and stepped and up like that and instead of stepping up now he's just gonna go and mope about it yeah, I mean, just okay. like you're so close to learning something, and then you're like, nah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I just I want to read this passage because it just kind of really demonstrates how kind of like defeated and up his own ass Tom is. So, <clears throat> okay, so it says Julian had loved her. Julian had said it, had said all the things that Tom had never thought to mention. And Julian had the charm of the devil. How could Jenny resist that? 
Especially being as innocent as she was, Jenny might actually think that she could change Julian, or that he wasn't as evil as he seemed. Tom knew differently, but what was the use of telling her? He'd seen them together, seen Julian's eyes when he looked at her. He'd seen the kind of spell Julian could cast. When Julian came for Jenny next time, Tom was going to lose. So now all he could do was lurk in the shadows, watching her. Uh. Noticing the way wisps of her hair blew over the rest of it, light as corn silk and the color of honey and sunlight. I hate Everything it. Everything. Ab- <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna say it. I freaking hate it. <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing. He saw that Julian is real smooth. Yep. Julian was giving her all the compliments. Yep. And he's like, "Oh shit! I haven't told her how beautiful she is. I haven't yep. been smooth with her. I haven't done that." And instead of s- deciding, "Hey," I should step up and be that charming and be that boyfriend. He's just like, oh, man, no, I can't be with her. Oh, man, if he comes back, she'll definitely pick him. And it's like, not if you step the fuck up and we're actually a good boyfriend. Also, she already chose you. That was literally what happened at the end of the first book. Also, he's really infantilizing her in this passage where he's oh, just like, yeah, oh, yeah, how she's too she's, stupid and naive to know better. That's right. But she already she's knows too better. Innocent. She'll be tricked by Julian because she's so innocent. So I have to save her from herself. And I just want to smack him. Yeah. It's and, so frustrating. Well, especially since after book one, like, it's very clear that Jenny can in fact hand her herself she is smart and vibrant and she is capable of like making decisions and doing what's right for the group without him and i think that's the real problem <laughs> that is the real problem that's what he's pouting about he's pouting because she doesn't uh, she doesn't need him and it's it's so painful, and every time we get these, like, Tom POV sections, I'm just, like, rolling my eyes so hard. Yeah, it's I... It's so frustrating. Like, I swear, I roll my eyes so hard, I expect them to, like, go flying out of my freaking skull. He's <laughs> just so, like, full of himself, while also being like, oh, poor me, poor me, and it's like, man, if you just want her to see you as someone better than you are then just be better than you are right like fix yourself you don't need to fix her you need to fix yourself exactly exactly um so yeah that's that's kind of that chapter we get a lot of uh tom just being like really down on himself which is like whatever yeah man i don't care about you and your yeah. whatever emotional bullshit you're going through. Because, honestly, like, a five-second conversation, which they have, by the way, and she's just, and like, where she's, like, pouring her heart out to him and saying how much, like, she wants to be with him and how she wished he had been there. And then he sees the ring on her finger, which I don't even oh, think she can yes, yes, take yes. off. We haven't mentioned that. So in the, in the end of the last book, uh, when she pretends to go with julian so that she can trick him julian gives her a ring that binds her to him yeah and i do believe she can't get it off she can't she is still wearing it because it's magic ring it won't come off and every time tom sees it he gets like all weird yeah and like withdrawn and all like yeah stops touching her stops looking at her which makes her feel like shit 
Of course. It's so it's so victim blamey. Oh, it is. It he he's like he makes it seem like oh, you know, you chose to be with him. It's like, no, she was tricking him and she had to so that you wouldn't die, you dumbass. Like Yeah. And I mean, like if you take this story at face value, um, this is a story about a girl who is being stalked and uh, harassed. Since she harassed. was like, what? Like what? Five or six? Yeah. So like, yeah. for the last decade of her life, she has been being stalked by the supernatural being who then like kidnapped her fucking friends into a monstrous game of life and death where one of them died. Yeah. And her boyfriend is sitting there going, Oh man, you this other guy is into you, and it's like, like, shut up, dude! Like, this is very scary for her. Why yeah. are you being like this? Yeah, it's like if you were a good boyfriend, you would be stepping up right now, not making her feel even worse, right? Because like, oh. like you have hangups about what happened. It's so. It is so fucking frustrating. It is infuriating, constantly. <laughs> it, is, it is the, I would say, like, my least favorite aspect of these books is Tom being Tom. Uh, but that's, okay, so we're moving on from that. The book moves into some scenes that st- starts kind of trying to, like, build up the atmospheric tension. You know, because the last book just kind of put them into a horror scenario, kind of right out the jump. This one is a lot more like build up to oh, yeah. what's going to happen. So we have these scenes like with the phone. We have this little bit where um, a psychic medium approaches her and tells her that she has a message to her from the beyond. And it's this cryptic kind of riddle that she doesn't understand. Uh, the, just the word vanished and, and nobody knows what, what the hell is that supposed to mean? We also we also get this scene where because they're they're like kind of going around like trying to quote unquote find Summer. They know Summer is dead, but they have to keep up appearances. And they're also trying to find who took the game. So they're going around from house to house and I say, hey, do you have any information on our missing friend and also this board game? So there's the scene where there's these kids playing or reading a reading a book i think uh, about little red riding hood oh no they're they're playing a game oh they're playing a game yeah yeah we're like some of them are was it sheep or something or goats but like oh that's that's a little later actually oh is it yeah Uh, it is okay first first there is this scene where these children are reading little red riding hood and they're just reading the the part about the wolf grandma what big ears you have etc etc but yeah but you're right there is later on a scene where there's these kids playing a like basically like tag where you tag people and then they're like trapped but it's like wolves and sheep and the, sh- the wolf has to catch all the sheep yeah but these it- are very interesting little just like atmospheric beats that kind yeah. of like ramp up the tension you're feeling oh yes oh are you talking about the one with uh, the little girl. Yes. Mm, yeah, that one is creepy and unsettling. It is, because they're just reading the book, but then all of a sudden the little girl just screams the line, The better to 
eat you with my deer. And I can just picture how that would be played in a movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And like, when Jenny's like watching her, she has this moment where she's like, I swear that is not a little girl. Like that her face changed or something. And I don't believe we ever get an explanation on that. No, Um, I think this is just like tension building moments that are meant to creep you out. Um, And it works. It's quite effective. Yes, it is very effective. Yeah. And then like after this, the girl just starts to giggle and she's fine and back to normal. And you're just kind of like, whoa, that was weird. Right? Yeah. I I have to say LJ Smith is like an absolute master at like building tension into every single scene. (laughs) Yeah. Like the the book, this book is a lot slower to start than the last one, but it really ramps up the tension and like this chapter ends with this scene where they think they're being chased by something it turns out to just be like a stray dog but they had to run from it to get to the car you know that kind of misdirection that happens in the beginning of horror movies yeah but we also do find out later that it was not in fact a stray dog Yes, well, they th- because they saw a stray dog, but that yes. wasn't actually what was chasing them. Yeah, because yeah. they hear, like, this growling and, like, this panting, and they're just like, oh, shit, something's after us, and they're, like, booking it for the car, and this whole, like, you know, trying to get the car open uh, tension, and, like, Tom comes out of nowhere and is all like, I'll save you. Oh, yes, uh, we do We do get to have White Knight, Tom, yeah. fine, whatever. Yes. Yeah, and then, like, they get into the car and they turn on, like, the headlights or whatever, and they're like, oh, it's it's just a dog. But Tom is like, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure I hit something. And there's, like, cl- like, scratch marks on the car and stuff, and it's all very mysterious and all, like, there's no way that was just a dog, but the only thing that's there is a dog. Yeah, and I kind of like this kind of, um back and forth between expectations so like okay it's a chase scene there's a monster after them oh no it's just a dog oh no it wasn't just a dog right you kind of don't you're off kilter you don't know what to expect well there's a lot of scenes in the book where you have moments where you're not really sure if what's happening is actually what's happening or if like like it's all something like the characters are experiencing because of trauma. There's a, a scene that we'll get to in a bit where they're like in a computer lab where there's all sorts of weird stuff happening where you have this moment of, it, wait, is this like actually happening because no one else is witnessing it? Yeah, and they actually talk about that. They talk about like how your brain can trick you into seeing things that aren't really there, especially if you're under stress or processing trauma. They talk about uh, it's a brain finding patterns, right? And so for a large portion of this section of the book, you're really not sure if these things are actually happening to them. I mean, we we are uh, smart readers, genre savvy, you might say, uh, and we have the knowledge that this is a book and probably, yes, these things are happening because it is a supernatural book and yeah. Julian is coming back. But the kids don't know if this is real or not. And so you really feel their confusion and their them being kind of off balance by all these things. Yes, there is a definite sense of like, none of them are actually really sure if... Yeah anything is real or not at this point and it 
it's freaking them out. And all of them are starting yeah. to have like weird dreams. It's a bad time. Yeah, and Jenny's still getting phone calls in the middle of the night at home, uh, just static and then a single word that now it's starting to get clearer every time and she thinks it says famished. And that the psychic from earlier who said the message was vanished was probably mishearing it and that really it says famished. And that's quite spooky. I love that. Oh, hard. So same. much. Yeah, like she she is being stalked still. Uh, and we don't even necessarily know if this is Julian that is stalking her or not. It just seems like a lot of like sinister things are happening. And that's and that's the thing. It's like we're not really for like a, a good portion of the book actually. You're not really entirely certain what is actually happening and you're like okay this is very supernatural so it's probably julian but like there's no sign of him he doesn't show up no and so it's like this constant of like is it him is it is it him we're not sure is it him or is it in fact the other shadow men who no. uh were are are in fact at large now they are not trapped in the game so there's also kind of the the idea that those might be what's coming after them now. Yeah. Yeah, it's, Which, uh, it's very interesting. It's very, it's a very interesting choice, especially considering the last book was so, like, I don't know what you would call it, like, action-packed, whereas this feels a lot more yeah. atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. Like, this one has a much slower build than the first one. Like, the first one was, like, you have that little bit of atmosphere at the beginning where she's getting the game and stuff, but then it's, like, it's all just go, 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 go to the end. Yeah. Because they're fighting for their lives through this nightmare game. But this yeah. one, they're just trying to live their normal lives while all these weird things keep happening. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, like, okay, there there has been, like, rumors on the grapevine that this series has been, like, licensed for a television adaptation. And... Assuming they do it well, I, I, you know, they could do it terribly, but assuming yes. it was done well, I could see how all of this could easily be made into very um, atmospheric television. Like this, this feels yeah. like this could be a TV show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it like, you can see how each like chapter could be its own episode. Yeah. Especially yeah, in the first one. Yeah, and all this just, like, weird things just keep happening, and they're yeah. so confused the whole time, which is just, like, really interesting. And mm -hmm. like you said, Julian doesn't show up. He doesn't show up until quite a ways in. Yeah. When she goes to the prom. Yes. Um, she goes to the prom not with Tom, because Tom uh, is to nowhere to be found. Yeah, he yes, also, he, yeah, he was like, we're gonna, I think we should break up. And she's like, excuse me? <laughs> yeah, he just like, he doesn't show up for any of their meetings. He yeah. avoids her phone calls. He's not around. And they then literally they got into one argument and he's just yeah. like, well, maybe we should break up. Yeah, the, the, when he finally does show up and she can have a conversation with him, they argue and then he dumps her, which yeah. I'm like, my gosh, my guy. So she goes to the prom with Bri Brian Detlinger. 
So just some some guy. Some just some guy. guy. Just some poor, guy. Poor Brian. You know. Poor Brian. He's just living his life, trying to you ask know, out a cute girl. Yeah, um, we don't know much about Brian, but he seems fine. Also, you know what I find really, um, I also really liked about uh, this whole thing with Brian is that it's made very clear that, like, since she has gone through this sort of, like, harrowing event, she's really sort of come into herself, and that oh, people yes. are, are noticing that and find it, like, yeah! really attractive how, how like, self-assured she seems rather than like kind of cowering and depending on tom for literally everything yeah and you know what i super love that for her like good Me for too. her she deserves to be asked to the prom absolutely she she's does. very upset about it that it isn't tom but you know baby steps <laughs> yeah well and meanwhile she agrees to go to the prom with brian because brian actually fucking asked her yep. uh, unlike tom and yep. Tom is in a whole ass knit about it. Yeah, my guy, you dumped her. You don't get to say shit. Yeah, yeah, you have no say in this. And my other favorite part is that she wears a dress that she owns that Tom never let her wear because uh, it was, you know, it's too sexy. Basically, it's too sexy. She wears this slinky little dress, and Audrey is all for this. By the way, we haven't talked too much about the friends, but Audrey. Is her, fa- is her so fashion supportive. bestie. Yeah. She is like, girl, no, you are going to go and you're going to look fabulous and it's going to be great. And you're like, yes, Audrey, you tell her. Yeah. You tell her so, to date other people because she should. <laughs> it's such a good power move. Like, oh, you dumped me? Fine. I'm going to go with this other random guy who actually asked me. And I'm going to wear the dress that you think is too sexy for me to wear. So there. Yes. Love that for her. Super, oh, super hard, love that for her. Hard same. I'm like, yes, yes, go, go. Ruin his entire day. <laughs> yes. Um, I also want to say that the prom, as described, uh, absolutely, what is this rich kid bullshit? Right? I, oh, God. That's the other thing about this book. They're constantly like, we're not rich. I'm like, girl, please. <laughs> you have like a $1,500 vase that your parents asked you not to break when you had your party. Right? No. Like, you have a shit. pool in your backyard. You are, you're, you're rich. All rich. And the, like their, their prom is like this fancy ass thing where I'm just like, we rented like a dingy hall and <laughs> had some like. Oh yeah. Like scooters. my, my fucking grad celebration uh was held in the school gymnasium and had like paper paper decorations and some balloons taped up to the walls like these kids have marble staircases and a chandelier and i'm like what the fuck is it yeah i'm like a fancy like like catering and stuff and i'm just like right i mean we had catering too so i'm assuming it came from like the place that they rented for our prom but like i i wouldn't necessarily be like like it wasn't a fancy place it it was a hall it it wasn't a fancy hall um (laughs) yeah no we didn't even have a hall they just held it in the school gymnasium i mean that's legit Oh, yeah, I mean, why not? The space is there. You already have the space. Might as well just put up your little booths and tables with, like, 
snacks and shit. Yeah. <laughs> safe, it was like a, it was just a fancier sock hop, honestly. Like Yeah. I don't I I feel like all of the teenage media that I had access to as a teen was like American and mm. just rich kids because uh, none of yeah. it none of it aligned with my actual experiences of high school. I yeah. swear. I have to admit, watching uh, TV shows growing up, I was always just really kind of confused. So I'm like, do people, is this actual, like, do people actually have experiences like this? I have no idea. We're both Canadian, so. We um, are. We are both Canadian. I just kind of go, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe, maybe people do do all these fancy things. I can't relate. <laughs> right. Um, but before we get to the prom, uh, she's yeah. accepted the invitation, but before we actually get to the prom, I know we're backtracking a little bit, uh, we do get a couple more creepy scenes. There's a scene in the, in the computer lab that you talked about where she's yeah. like typing on the computer, but like the computer starts malfunctioning and what she's typing turns into like this, uh, long chain of the letter J cause the keyboard gets stuck and then it like moves off the screen entirely and this scene is so interesting to me uh from a modern day perspective because this kind of computer horror i don't know if it lands as well now as it would have then yeah the creepiness of a malfunctioning computer it it's very 90s it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like uh like a scene from 2023 at all no there is something about how computers used to work that makes this scene feel hit very differently um you know obviously this was like before like touch screens or like Mm -hmm. basically like anything fancy that you have like you know you wouldn't have had laptops in school it would have been like the big freaking block um screen desktops yeah Yeah, yeah. i can picture it oh yeah i i'm picturing the computer lab we had in my high school with like the like giant ass uh tower computers with the huge yeah computer screens (laughs) where they're like where they tell you things like don't now don't turn off you know your (laughs) computer too quickly because you could crash the whole thing kind of thing Um, yeah yeah exactly (laughs) and actually her unplugging the computer does crash the entire computer lab which (laughs) like okay i don't think that's how that works but sure okay i I don't know that that's how that works but i think a part of it is that it that's not how that works which is what makes it even creepier right well okay so like this this bit here is very interesting to me um so she's just been typing in a word a word document and it got stuck on the letter J, and it's just like a long string of J's. Yeah. And she says, uh, Jenny's little fingers were tingling. They were crawling between her shoulder blades. This was wrong. She had a dreadful feeling of the physical distance the line of J's had traveled. It was as if she were out in space somewhere, far to the right of her original document, and going on farther. She was lost somewhere in virtual space, and she was terrified of what she might see there. That is such a unique way of viewing a computer document, yeah. like computer space. Yeah, uh, in which a you way wouldn't see just, it that way anymore. No, it's so uniquely like 
90s windows 98 word processor like i yeah. i can't picture that in a modern capacity at all and, no. and i just find that a very interesting like time capsule yeah it, it was <laughs> and, and again I, it's interesting because i feel like this series probably wouldn't hit the same way for like teens who would read it now no um, just because a lot of the horror so. is very contingent on like, very specific experiences with technology that, like, mm-hmm. that are so vastly different from how they used to be that, yeah, yeah it, you just, it just doesn't really, like, we wouldn't hit the same way, basically. Yeah, um, pretty much. We We get that. We also get a couple more scenes of them sleuthing. So they are uh, trying to figure out the location of this board game. Um, they do talk a little bit more with the girl who had been upset about her missing friends, Slug and PJ, was it? Something like that, yeah. Some Something like that. So we find out that they were the ones who had the game. And she, like, um, straight up accuses Jenny of, like, of, like, trying to, like, frame them for murder and for, like, oh, yeah. killing them or something. Or for killing Summer. They're like, I know you killed Summer and... Which sets them all off on this, oh my god, does she know something? No, she doesn't. Uh, she's yeah. just a grieving grieving uh, teenager who wants yes. her friends to come back. Yeah, exactly. Um, we also find out that Gordy from the first chapter is missing. And the kids don't really know him. They're just like, oh, that was that like weird guy. I don't know. Yeah. Like, oh, he's missing. So we know that there is something out there, whatever it was that got Gordy. Yeah. Probably the same thing that's hunting these kids now. Yes. And I do believe, like, in 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 the background while Tom's busy ignoring everyone, uh, yes. he's, like, investigating all these, like, little rumors because... Yeah, Tom's <sighs> gone rogue and he's kind of doing yeah, something. He, he's all like, I'm gonna take care of this behind the scenes instead of you know telling people and cooperating with your friends like a normal ass human being it's much better to put yourself in constant danger (sighs) it's fine it's fine i hate him but it's fine um they do i believe they find the game though they find the game in slug and pc i found in the book slug and Uh, pc in in their in secret Slug and PC's ha- secret hideout, they find the board game, but they do not find Slug and PC. The implication Ooh. being that these these guys went into the game, probably. Yeah. Which means... And they're all just like alarm bells. <laughs> That's right. There is something they might have found and or freed within the world of that game. And uh, so now everyone's like, oh, God, we're all going to die. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Julian is Julian is definitely at large at this point. We're pretty sure. They're like, he's probably at large and also probably really pissed because you sure did trick him. You sure did. So they go to the prom next. And the prom is such an interesting scene to me because this is when we finally see julian again yeah and julian is in top form and what this really reminded me the most of was labyrinth the ballroom scene in labyrinth yes yes you are so right 
<laughs> when the Goblin King comes in and like dances with her and it's like this kind of surreal experience because yeah. we do have Julian doing pulling pulling that exact move, right? Oh, he yeah. comes in and he dances with her. Uh, it we should mention that the prom is a masquerade. Of course it because is. Because of course it is. Um, of course it is. That's you know, that's the move, obviously. Yeah, it has to be a masquerade so that he can easily like blend in essentially and she's dancing with this guy and she's like wow i sure am feeling a way about this and i'm not sure why um <laughs> and then it's yeah like, oh let's go out like let's get some fresh air out on the balcony they have a freaking balcony of course um, they have a balcony like these freaking rich kids good lord right it's like it's i believe it is a balcony and not like a back deck area no um, it is a balcony yeah and, and, and she sort of, like, has that, wait, a, wait, wait, something's wrong here moment. And it's just like, oh, girl, you realized that one a little too late, huh? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's a very beautiful scene. Um, the, she, when she figures out that it's Julian, she has this moment of sheer terror. Yeah. That I absolutely adore. Like, she's dancing with this guy. She's feeling, wow, this guy is really kind of sweeping me off my feet. He's very charming. And then he leans into her and he whispers in her ear, famished. And she knows it's him. And it's just, she she cries out and she tries to get away from him, but they're dancing and it's, mm, chef's kiss. Oh, it's so good. It's so it's good. So good. And, and it's like this mixture of like, fear and arousal that she's having yes it's just like really makes julian so compelling um oh it's so so incredible like this is the kind of stuff that i want in uh like in erotica in general is this mixture of fear and attraction all at the same time. I want yes. the character to both be compelled by and also repulsed by. And the war between those two emotions in her is just incredible. Yes. Well, and especially since, like, she has these moments of, like, where they're out on, on the balcony and she just feels so drawn in by him like a moth to a flame but where she's also like i can't give into this because like he's he's a freaking monster like um yeah well and also because she loves tom which you know whatever. yeah whatever better better taste you can love another guy just <laughs> better taste just Come not on. tom yeah i mean but that is an interesting uh component here because she's comparing and contrasting the experience of being with julian versus being with tom Yes. And she specifically says that what the the thing she likes about Tom is that when she's with him, when she's in his arms, when he's kissing her, she feels safe. Whereas with Julian, she never feels safe. She feels scared, but she kind of likes that. Yeah. And um, it, it's, it's an interesting character development for her. Mm-hmm. It really is. Like, she doesn't necessarily want to feel safe. She wants yes. to feel this excitement this adrenaline rush and 
Oh, I mean, girl, same. I, I can so relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, the eroticism of fear is so palpable. Yes. In in this moment. And I could just talk about it forever. It's I so mean, good. Don't, don't let me stop you. <laughs> I will uh, stop I, you. <laughs> I just, I just love this kind of shit honestly yeah well and like so many books tend to pull back on it where they like they create a premise where there should be this level of like fear but also like curious arousal but then they will undercut it by being like oh it's not actually scary though look see see it's it was safe all along and you're like okay but I wanted the, f- the fear f- fantasy. Please give me back my fear fantasy. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that's kind of my problem with a lot of modern vampire stories is that like, okay, here's here's what I feel like happened with vampires is that you know, vampires, big sexy. Yes. And a lot of writers and publishers picked up on the fact that people find vampires erotic and sexy. Yes. Yes. So then they started writing them part specifically to be erotic and sexy, and they lost all the fear. Like, they lost the yes. thing that made them scary, which was also the thing that made them sexy. So you have yes. these, like, vampires that are brooding and sad, and, oh, no, I don't actually want to hurt you, and I'm trying to fight my nature. And I'm like, no, the thing that I found erotic about them in the first place was that they were sadistic killers yeah um remorseless monsters yes and that they would take what they wanted whether you wanted to give it or not yeah and that's what's so sexy about julian here is that he is a remorseless monster he is here to fuck shit up and take his prize and he knows that, and he's comfortable with that. Yes, he's fully aware that he is a monster. He is fully aware that he's like, nah, you're going to be mine. We we agreed on this. Uh, I do believe you said yes, so that's on you. Um, and yeah, you're the one that bound yourself to me with my promise ring, so... Yeah, that was a you choice, not a me choice. Uh, which, I mean... It wasn't. It wasn't really a her choice. It was no, of course kind of it wasn't. Necessary. But you know, again, remorseless monster. So I don't expect much. Yeah, um, but there is there is an aspect to him that is a uh, very lawful evil, which I find very, yes, very. I nice. find that very interesting because he definitely has his own sense of like a moral code of what is and is not allowed within, like. To fit in with his, like, worldview of things and his own personal values. Yeah, he operates under a set of rules. They're not necessarily the human set of rules, but they're, they there are, are there. There are rules, yeah. Like, yeah. He, and it's, it's actually commented on several times, uh, especially by Jenny, that, like, he has a sense of, like, gamemanship. He has a sense of, like, it has to be, quote-unquote, fair, but, like, his definition of fair there are times when she's trying to work through like what he is thinking or doing where she thinks, okay, what would be, sorry, let me rephrase that. She will look at, she will look at a situation and go, he wouldn't do that because it wouldn't be fair. 
It wouldn't be sporting. Too. Yeah, it yeah. wouldn't be sporting. Um, which I think is a really interesting thing to have as a villain is a villain who's like, yes, I, I will do all these horrible things, but it has to fit into like how I define being sporting, being yeah. um, fair and just. And that is one of my favorite villain traits, honestly. Whew, yeah. So sexy. Yeah, well, and especially since, like, his definition of fair obviously is not a human's definition of fair. No, um, not at all. And he sort of comes in with, like, well, I said X would happen, and X happened. Why are you acting surprised? Mm-hmm. Like, with Summer, where he's like, I told you one of your friends would die. One of your friends died, like, I told you this is how you could avoid it. You didn't want to take that option. You don't get to be upset with me when I presented the options and told you the consequences for not picking one, and all of it happened. Which, I mean, you yeah. can still be upset with him, because you should be. But I I do really like that as a villain trope. No, it's such a good villain trope. I, I love a villain that is just very comfortable being this kind of game master, right? Yes. He lays down the rules. He will play within the rules, but they are his rules that you're playing yes. by. Uh, and it's so good. Yes. So he it initiates. Is very masterfully written. Uh, beautiful. In this series. Yeah. He initiates a new game, essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. And this game is basically like a game but well it's essentially the game that we saw the children playing before it's a game of tag he will send his monsters now we know that he has a couple of monsters yeah we did get introduced to them in the last book but we don't actually spend any time with them in the last book yeah we don't really spend time with them in this book too much either they're just no. like they show up and chase them essentially but if the monster catches you then it will take you to wherever he's keeping people and he's going to pick them off one by one. And if she can find where the, the place he's keeping his captives, if he can find, if she can find that, then she wins the game. But yes. if all of them get captured before she finds them, then he wins the game and she's his forever. Yes. So as long as he doesn't capture her, she can still win the game. Right. That's right. It's, uh, it is basically a game of tag. Yeah. Uh, and a game of stalking and chasing, which yes. is much more straightforward, I think, than the last game. Yes, he's, he sort of has the air of, like, no, we're doing this, and I'm going to win because I'm tired of playing these stupid games. Like, I want this to be over now, and but since you're going to be difficult about it... Um, <laughs> Fine, I'll give you one more chance. That's the sporting thing to do. Um, and, and I do think a part of him wanting to do that is because there is a part of him that wants her to come willingly. Or as willingly as he understands willingness to be. Well, in yes. This willing, willing in his view, in his worldview is a little bit different, but... Yeah, his, his worldview of willing is, you said yes, uh, even though it was under extreme duress. It does, yeah, it does not matter if it's under duress, uh, as long as I get the yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he initiates this game, they have a little bit of a chase sequence, and then the kids all get together, and they kind of talk about what they're, gonna what they're do. going to do. 
And here's one thing that I kept thinking they dropped the ball on. These kids never go to a library, never research the occult or the supernatural. They don't try to get in touch with mediums or psychics or, I don't know, clergy. Like an exorcist, anything. Yeah, they're just like, Yeah, they're just like... this on our own with doing zero research. If this was me, I would be uh, every spare moment trying to to find any scrap of information about these creatures and who deals with them. Yeah. Uh, Wild to me that they don't do any of that. No, no, they really... uh... They really don't, and uh, it, it was also a point of frustration for me because that seemed like such an obvious thing to do. And then I'm like, yeah. do these kids just, like, not go to the library? Is this a rich person thing? Maybe that's why. Are they too rich <laughs> to consider going to the library? That's weird. Oh, libraries are for poor people, obviously. I, I mean, I guess. I don't... I went to the library a lot as a kid. I can't imagine not going to the library. Oh, so did I. I would. I practically lived at the library as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Very, they they very never think. Library. Yeah, they never think to do it. Not no. even once. It's not even like an idea that gets tossed out there. Like, oh, maybe we should contact someone that knows more about the supernatural than we do. Yeah, they do talk to. Oh, is it in this one? Or the next one when they talk to Dee's grandma? I think that might be the next one. Or maybe this one. No, yeah, maybe it is this one. Yeah. They talk to Dee's grandma, and she is the only one that believes them about anything. Yes. Which is is nice. (laughs) It's nice. It does fall into the, like, a very stereotypical wise old black woman trope. It Which definitely does. It definitely less does. Less ideal who believes, who's the only one who believes in mysticism because she's from Africa and you're just and like, oh. Yeah, African spiritualism is definitely a trope here that I don't super yeah, love. Don't love it. Um, it, yeah. <laughs> Again, it's, yeah. It's, it's one of those moments where like, ah, 90s. I yeah. See, I see you've come to rest. Uh, <laughs> the wise old POC who knows about spiritual things. Because sure. it has to be a person of color. Mm, it's fine. It's not fine. It's Actually, not fine. It's really not fine. Uh, it is one of the things that we both uh, had a hard time dealing with while reading this book, was just the, the frequency yeah. of just the... The really sort of subtle, uh, I'm hoping unintentional, like, kind of racist microaggression type yeah, insertions I, of the book and that I, I just I don't care for. I can't really remember if this book was a little bit better about, like, the amount of fetishization for D. Not much the better. the last one. Not I, really. Yeah, it's still there. There's like, it, there's still very much the vibe of like, 
She's a beautiful, strong, black woman. Did we mention she's black? Did we mention she has dark skin and strong shoulders? Did we mention that she's black? Because if we didn't, we need to tell you, again, in case you missed it, she has dark skin and dark hair and dark eyes. And also, she has dark skin and dark hair. And you're like, yeah, we don't. you told us. And also, it's worth noting that Dee is always described as being very, like, muscular and athletic and uh, to a point, actually, where I started to wonder, is Jenny bi? Because... There are moments where I'm just like, girl, are you, like, checking out your your bestie? No judgment. Dee sounds great. Um, Dee sounds great. She, there are, there are lots of moments where she'll, like, touch Dee's uh, arm or something and remark in her internal monologue that her arm was as, uh, as solid as a boy's. And I'm like, um, girl. Hey, hey Jenny, have you thought about dumping Tom for Dee? I'm just saying it's an option. Dee would be way better than Tom. Oh, hell yeah. First of yeah. all, she would not treat Jenny like that. Uh, <laughs> no, would... she would treat Jenny very well, I think. Yes, and I I do believe that they would be like the perfect power couple. Absolutely. And, for sure. And I, for one, am all here for Jenny D, uh, the, the ship that sh- should have sailed. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I just... It is very interesting, though, because, yeah, every single time uh, Jenny talks about, like, Dee, like, holding her because she's scared or something or because she got hurt and being, like, commenting on how strong she is and how safe she feels with her. And you're yeah. just like, hey, girl, hey, you want to you wanna talk about how those are the same words you used to describe your boyfriend? <laughs> can we, yeah, can we like talk it- about it just a little bit? <laughs> It does start to feel very bi, and I am honestly quite here for it. I, you know what, I mean, okay, it was the 90s, so th- it wouldn't have been put in. Uh, but no. I would, I would absolutely love a rewrite where uh, Jenny and Dee are dating instead, or where Jenny breaks up with Tom and it's just like, you know what, I, I'm going to be single for a bit, and then dates Dee. Yes. I am super here for that. So the kids are all kind of banding together and they realize that this game, they're going to get picked off one by one. And every time someone is about to be taken, uh, they are somehow given a riddle. They yes. either find to give them it, a like hint this, of who it will be. Yeah. She's, they're given a hint who it's going to be and how it's going to happen. Yeah. And so, this is this is another example of Julian trying to quote unquote play fair. He's yes. giving them chances and opportunities, even if it's not like super easy to figure out. But it, you know, technically, you had a chance. Yeah, he's like, well, um, I did give you a clue, which was more than I, you know, needed to give you. So exactly, like exactly. to him, that is the the sporting thing to do is to give her a clue, even if that clue is incredibly cryptic. And, like, not helpful. Uh, In his mind, he's being fair. Yes. But Audrey is the first one who gets taken. 
That scene was very unsettling. <laughs> it was because she gets taken while she steps away to the kitchen, I think, to get a glass of water or something. Yeah, she's, she's like mid-sentence. Mid-sentence. And the the clue that they had received previously was a poem uh, that was that they just found in a in a book that said yeah. in the midst of the word she was trying to say, in the midst of her laughter and glee. She had softly and suddenly vanished away, for the snark was a bosom, you see. And that obviously very cryptic little yeah. little poem. It's a, it's a, it's a nonsense rhyme, but when Audrey steps away into the kitchen, mid sentence, she just disappears. And like the thing is, there's no scream. There's no sound of anything having entered. There's like no sign sound of a struggle. Um. The only reason they went to check is because they saw that poem, and then they're like, wait, did, like she's being really quiet, and then go in, and she's just gone. Yeah, it, and it's a very, oh, I just, I do find that this writing is very effective at drawing out the tension. Yeah. Making you feel just a little unsettled, a little off balance, because you don't know what's coming, who's going to get taken next. Like, it's very good. Yeah, like, we don't know that she's going to be the first one taken either. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, she's just gone. Like, they didn't have a chance to fight. They didn't have a chance to hide. There was, like, no warning, really. Um, other than, like, they saw the poem five seconds before it happened. Yeah, exactly. So it's just, it, they, and that's where we know, okay, this is going to happen like that. Like, yeah, it's going to be real quick. And they're barely going to have a chance to put together any of these clues. And there is also, like, just a sense of... So there's literally nothing we can do to avoid being taken. Other mm -hmm. than to always staying in the same room together and never parting ways. That's right. That's right. So the rest of the book from here on out uh, is this kind of cat and mouse game. This chase where they're trying to put together the clues and they can't, and one by one, these kids get just vanished it's, away. Yeah, they get snatched. It's uh, it's very Faye. Quite Faye. And yeah. she's, meanwhile, trying to figure out where they're being held, right? Because that is that is the, the goal of the game. She has to find where he's keeping them in order to save them. Yeah. So, like, she's watching her friends disappear one by one. Yeah. Um, and is, while also trying to figure out where he could be taking them, um, having, like, weird dreams with him where he's, like, giving her clues in her dreams, but always, mm -hmm. like, she wakes up too late to actually do anything. Yep, she has a few encounters with him, um, and, and a few times, like, there's one scene where letters appear in the fog on a window, it's it's all very like it's all very spooky honestly yeah, i can just it's quite spooky i can just picture how this would be done in a movie and it's really yeah. really interesting yeah the visuals uh lj smith is really good with her visuals mm -hmm. of creating this sense of like you can just see it like moment to moment exactly what is happening and how creepy it is <laughs> Yeah. And at, at one point, Tom sneaks off because he wants to do something on his own. And he goes and and he, like, kills the wolf creature. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, is it the wolf one he, or the snake one? It's one of the two. It's one of the two. 
And he's like, ha-ha, I have done this great thing. I have protected you by doing this thing that really doesn't actually end up mattering at all. Yeah. Uh, and it's... Uh, he's just... Like, he's trying to be, like, this big hero person while also just treating Jenny like garbage, which is so upsetting to me. Yeah, it's like his sense of masculinity is threatened by the fact that she is, like, capable of taking care of herself. And instead of going, wow, that's really great, I'm so happy for you, uh, Mm -hmm. he sort of gets into this, like, no, I'm the alpha protector, blah, blah, blah. I'm a man, blah, 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 it's my job to blah, blah, blah. And you're just like, oh, God, shut up. I just, I don't know, I just don't have, like, any patience for his character. And it's possible just because, like, I, I've known guys like that. And, yeah. And I just, you don't need to be like that. Like, you know what girls need more than a protector is for someone to treat them with some goddamn respect. Right? Ugh, I tell you. So they get picked off one by one, and Michael is the last one to go. Oh, and poor Michael! Poor Michael! I he really is find so scared. <laughs> he is very scared, and I find the scene where he gets taken actually quite uh, amusing for like a variety of ways uh, of of reasons. Yeah. So it, they get a hint from Michael that he's going to fall into a hole. And yeah. so she's like, no, we're not going to, we're not, I'm not going to let that happen to you. You're not going to fall into a hole. We're yeah. going to stay together for this whole time while we try to find the place. We're going to yes. stay together and you're going to be fine. Yeah, it's going to be fine. You, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. I got you. But, but Michael needs to go to the bathroom yeah. at one point. So she's like, it's okay. You just go to the bathroom. I'll be standing right out here, right outside. And wouldn't you know it, he ends up falling into the toilet. <laughs> gets sucked in that way that is the hole that he falls in and whatever but the the reason i find this scene so funny uh from an adult perspective is because i'm sorry i would just go in with him right yes to go into the bathroom while he's peeing so that he's not alone yeah it's like girl you should never be alone yeah we've already established (laughs) that the second one of you is like out of line of sight they will be taken we we've established this but it's all like no i couldn't possibly watch him pee and you're like girl you don't have to watch him pee you just need to stand in the bathroom with him and hold his hand he only needs one if he's careful i'm just like what is the big deal so you might see his penis who fucking cares well yeah it's a very i feel like it's a very teenage response it's a very teenage response but i feel like if these were adult characters they would not care yeah i feel like that's why this book only works with like teenage characters because if you put adults into this it would just be it would be a very different book oh Um, yeah like i can't first of all they'd go to the library (laughs) (laughs) if i was in a situation like this with any of my friends um and it came down to the wire like this i cannot imagine myself being like Oh no, I can't be in the room with you while you pee. Yeah, protecting my my virgin eyes over him being snatched. Your your life, right? Yeah. I can't imagine it. Um it's so teenage. This like not even considering the idea that you could just go into the bathroom with him. Yeah, and just like 
look the other way while still holding on to him. Yeah, exactly. Like, come on now. What? <laughs> um, <sighs> kids. <laughs> teenagers. Kids. Mm. But she does, she does lose him. He gets taken while he's uh, pissing. Which, like, man, what a terrible, terrible time. A, that's an awful way to go. Yeah, that's, that's a terrible way to get snatched right there. Uh, I don't even know if he got to finish peeing first. Uh, I don't know. He just kind of calls out from the bathroom as he's looking down into the toilet that a toilet is an awful lot like a hole. Are you and sure I'm five safe? Seconds. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I promise you're safe. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to like... Like, you're safe. You're safe for sure. And then... Like, nope. I won't let anything happen to you. And by sure, I mean, he had things to say about that later. Uh-huh. <laughs> you promised you sure me did. I'd be okay. <laughs> I was not okay. I <laughs> fell into the toilet. Very upsetting. <laughs> Michael very is very, is, is like weirdly precious in a weird I way. Know. I know. He, he is cute. But this, this leads us into the final showdown, which is honestly my favorite scene in this whole book. Oh, it's really good. She figures out where her friends are being held. She yeah. puts it all together. Yeah. And she's pretty sure that they're in the cafeteria at school. Yep. So she's trying to get there in time. And while she's trying to get there, uh, she's being chased by Julian, who is... But it's not just a cafeteria at school. It's a painting. Oh, that's right. That's right. It's not the physical cafeteria. It they, is a painting created... her cousin did. Yeah. yeah. Or isn't it a photograph? Because Zach's a photographer. Oh, uh, that's true. It might be a photograph. So I think it's I think it's a photograph. But he has on display in his uh, photo lab or whatever, like his, his art yeah, studio. Yeah, his darkroom. Yeah, his darkroom in like the family garage. Yeah, he's got on display this photo that he took of the school cafeteria, and she has figured out that that is where Julian has hidden this like pocket dimension version yeah. of the cafeteria where they're going to be held so yes. that's where she's trying to get to but as she's going there yeah uh, Jul- julian is chasing her down but because he is literally a being made of shadows he is chasing her from the shadows so we get this scene where she's running for lighted areas while the lights around her just like shut off yeah she's like running down like the street and the street lamps are flicking off one by one like behind her as she's running and she gets to the house and it's the same thing like she gets to a lighted area just as the last one the lights shut off uh and you just know that julian is in the shadows he's in the darkness yeah he's he's there for her yeah he's there with her and he's like i've won yeah, if he catches her, he wins. And he does catch her. And, oh my gosh, it is the... The the fact that this scene actually is as effectively scary as it is adds mm. to it being so sexy. Yeah, it does. It's... Oh, oh boy! Like, I have to fan myself just thinking about it. I'm like, whoo! This scene actually really did get my heart pumping quite a bit, in fact. Yeah, it was it was a really well-written chase scene, and the tension is so high 
during it that yeah like you can feel it like i felt my heart racing while we were reading it and it it was it's just really well done she really is so like lj smith is so good at these like really high tension scenes where you're almost holding your breath being like oh god is she gonna make it um and like yes but also no it's this it's hmm and when he confronts her, when he catches her, he's just so sinister. And his and, presence is oh, yeah. so all-consuming. I, I uh, Like, he's almost, and like, there's a smugness of it of like, I caught you. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you didn't, you didn't win. I won this time. It's my win, your loss. Like, his words, he says, you didn't think... The voice, like water over rock, said gently, "But I would actually let you get there, did you?" <sighs> Chills! Chills yeah. down my spine! Yes. Oof! Oh, it's good shit. It's so- it's such good shit. Um, Honest, I feel like this is one of those books where I'm like, Dear people who write, like, erotic content, I need you to read this and take some freaking notes, please. Yeah, because this is exactly what I want a sinister, like, scary, erotic villain to be like. This nails it. Honestly, like, this book has a lot less makeouts than the last one did even, but this scene, this scene on its own, might as well be a sex scene. Frankly. Yeah, there is, like, um... A sense of like he's being so dominant in this scene he is clearly like i am fully in control and you're mine and like we're done playing games but he's also so gentle with her like yes. she's freak she's freaking out she's terrified she's crying and he's he's caught her and he says shush shush you don't need to cry you've lost the game that's all it's over now and she's like freaking out and blubbering while he's just being like, "Oh no, it's okay, it's okay." Yeah, and there's no reason lost. to be upset. Like I've, you know, I've you were won. always going to lose, <laughs> right? And he's so he's so gentle with her at the same time that he is like, like being cruel, <laughs> being cruel. That like that combination just ooh, does things slays. To me. Yeah, just slays. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. it, yeah. And I mean, uh, just looking at our own work, we're very much, we, we have very similar taste, uh, in fiction. Oh, yeah. It's why we write well together. This book, very formative, I think, in my Mm. own sense of, like, what is sexy. Yeah, definitely. I feel like I've been chasing after, like, trying to find a villain that's like Julian in every single book I've read since then. And just been really disappointed. (laughs) Yeah, none of them stand up to this. Holy shit. Mm -mm. But Mm-mm. she does outfox him here. She she yes. pushes away from it. She kind of she kind of goes along with him for a little bit until she gets her bearings, and then she makes one last ditch, uh, one last ditch run for the for the vortex that will take her into the quote unquote cafeteria. Yeah, and she like jumps like she doesn't she push him into it and like jumps over it, yes. and then gets to the painting or whatever. And, yeah, but she gets to. Th- her friends who are trapped in in the piece of artwork yes that's right and, and uh, now things get real fun yeah so hooray she's won 
Um, but and and of course we know that Julian is quote unquote sporting. Yep. He, but he's also kind of a sore loser. So and he's very pissed right now because he's this very is twice now. Off. That she has tricked him, and he's just like, I, I, I had you this time. I'm pretty sure I had you this time. Hmm, I'm really angry about it. But he's also, he, he's like, all right, fine, you win. But uh, good luck getting out. <laughs> yeah. So like, they have a conversation where they're like, I don't know if Julian's actually going to let us go. And yeah. she says, he's- Well, I won, so he has to let us go unless he's going to cheat. And Julian gets really pissy about that, and he shows himself. He says, I never cheat. Excuse you. Yeah, right? how, da- how, dare how, you, how dare you? How dare you? my honor. <laughs> um, so he says, yes, you won. Uh, you are free to go. There's the door. And then he disappears, and they are surrounded by fire. The whole cafeteria, all the walls are turned into fire, and... Yeah. They're allowed to go through the door to get out, but they have to go through the fire first. Yes. Um, Which is such a petty move on his part, frankly. It is. Although I do wonder if she had not accused him of cheating, if he would have still done that. Um, I mean, he might have. He (laughs) might have, because he... He He might have. Really kind of like, how dare you trick me a second time? But also, (laughs) I imagine there's a certain level of, you're calling me a cheater? Really? You, you're calling me a cheater. Girl, oh yeah, mirror. Because she has cheated both times to get yes. to to get her wins. Which yes. I mean, fair she should because yes, because <laughs> yeah. This is this is one of those moments where like my horny brain is like, but you could have just gone with him. It might have been fine, <laughs> um, right? Like he would have let your friends go and everything. Yeah, yeah, been yeah. Fine. Uh, and you could just be with the really sexy supernatural being that you're deeply attracted to but like adult me is like okay no you, you probably should not go with the shadow monster um, i feel like i feel like killed one of um, your friends if i was going to say write a bad ending fanfic in which she does end up with julian because julian wins yeah. it would be it it would be this it would be the end of this book where he catches her yeah. This this is where the alternate ending would be, I think. Yeah. I I agree. Uh, that is also where I would put it. Yeah, for sure. Um but she does outsmart him yet again because she figures out that the fire isn't actually real. It's just an illusion. Now, she doesn't actually figure it out. It is a theory she has that she is willing to bet her life on. Um yes. And it turns out that she is correct. It's not a real fire. You can walk through it. However, the catch is, it still feels real. Yes. While you're in it, it feels real. It hurts. You feel like your skin is melting off. But like when you exit on the other side, you're perfectly fine. Nothing happened. But you do have to experience. Yeah. You have to push through your fear to get to the other side which is really uh very on brand for him because that was basically the premise of the first game too yeah it was facing fears and hardships and getting through them so yeah if you want to make it out you have to face your fear and push through it so she and tom go all the way through to the other side and then they realize that in order to 
in tell everyone that they else, get through. Yeah, they, they have, to, have go to go back again. Uh huh. <laughs> so they do. So they just... they both experience the 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 whole package of being yep. burned alive twice. Well, to tell. Yeah, just to tell them, and then they have to do it a third time so they can get out. And while they are making the final trip, um, they lose Zach and Tom. Yes. Zach Zach's, and Tom don't make it. Zach is holding Jenny's hand, and he, like, trips or something. Um, and she's, like, screaming for him because, like, that's her cousin. Um, she loves him. She doesn't want anything bad to happen to anyone at this point, or ever. Um, and she, she's freaking out. And Tom's like, I'll go back. You, you get everyone else out. Um, you have to go. Yeah. And they get to the outside of the painting and it is just like the, or the, the image, the, the huge canvas. And it is just actually on fire. Yes. Um, and all of them make it out except Tom and Zach, who seem to be trapped within that realm as yes. the, as the image burns to a crisp and is gone. Then Julian, I believe, leaves her a clue of, you know, if you want to save them, essentially. Exactly. If you want to get Zach and Tom back, then you have to play another game with me. And she Wait. ends... Ends this book saying, all right, all right, he wants another game. I'll give him one last game. Yeah, and it's, I really, I really love Jenny's sort of character growth throughout the whole series of mm-hmm. where she starts in like book one is this very like, oh, I mustn't do anything to upset anyone ever because that would be the worst. Oh no, oh, woe is me. Uh, what if what if someone doesn't like the things I have chosen? And now she's just like, oh, this bitch wants to go. Let's go. I'll, I'll play your game. I'll play all your games. I'll play your games and shove them down your throat. <laughs> yeah, like she she is uh, actually like quite pissed off at this point. And it's yeah. really cool to see her come into that uh, that persona now. She has had so much growth. Yes. She's gone through two of his bullshit games, and she's yeah. like, "Fuck it, bring on a third. I'm ready." Yeah, she's like, "Nah, you're not. You're not winning today, Shadow Man." <laughs> I really love that for her. Like, good for yeah. her. Yeah, uh, I have to say, I really do love her character growth. Even though there are times where I'm like, "Ooh, I wish that I'd gone just like a hair further." Um, especially yeah. with her relationship with Tom, that was sort thing- of a sticking point for me. The thing that I don't love about her character growth is that it is presented as though that is what was needed to fix her relationship with Tom. Like, Yes, and not that Tom needs to fix himself. And not that Tom needs to be a better boyfriend, right? Like, oh, the only problem with their relationship was that she was too much of a pushover. I'm like, well, you know, Tom also could just have not been a controlling douchebag. How about that? Yeah. You know? Yeah, can we, like, maybe not blame her for, uh, you know being pushed around her entire life by this one guy. Yeah. I I don't love this framing of her being essentially a pushover as though it is some moral failing on her part that she needed to work on. Like, yeah, we, we can all grow in our lives, but like 
her being a pushover is not an excuse for her being pushed over. If no. that makes sense. No, it does. Right? Uh, yeah, like, no matter how much, you know, you can say, well, she let him push her over, but he shouldn't have been pushing her to begin with. Exactly. It, it feels Precisely. very, like, like victim-blaming, abuse-pologist kind of crap. Uh, yeah, and yeah, I'm yeah. just super... Yeah. It, it is one of the things about the book that I, like, genuinely dislike. Yes, I will say that that uh, doesn't doesn't blow wind up my skirt. <laughs> Which, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, so, it's so interesting to me that both of us are very big Julian stans. Yeah. We're so into Julian, who yeah. is uh, an unapologetic monster. Yes. Who is stalking and uh, harassing her and threatening the lives of her friends and, yes. you know, all these bad things. Yes. And we're like, oh, yes, yeah, step on me, daddy. Whereas yeah. <laughs> Tom's just kind of a shitty boyfriend and we're like, fuck that guy. Boo. Yeah, we're like, no, we know you in real life. Julian doesn't exist. You do, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's fuck exactly you in particular. <laughs> Julian uh, is a a fantasy. Yeah, Julian's creation. like a power fantasy thing where like if I were writing a dominant character, he has like the traits I enjoy having in a dominant yeah. character um in a fantasy setting. Yeah, he is a kinky fantasy figure. He is not yeah, a real where- person. Yeah, whereas Tom feels very much like way too many guys I have known, um, unfortunately. Yeah. If there are any fellows listening to this, please, please treat your ladies nicely. Or your fellas. Or your non-binary babes. Don't be a Tom. Don't be a Tom. Don't be a Tom. Don't be a Julian either. Don't be a Julian either. Uh, We we really... (laughs) (laughs) To be clear... We like reading about a Julian. We would not like knowing a Julian. Uh, yes. I mean, I I like Julian the same way that I like, you know, any villain, really. Yeah. Um, where I'm like, yeah, would I want to engage with them in a real-world scenario? Hell no. Absolutely not. Um, but, like, as a power fantasy, it is very fun. Um, yes. When it comes to, like, all these mediocre boyfriends in so many freaking romance novels um i just like no that's not even a fun that's not even a fun fantasy because these guys exist and they don't treat their girlfriends right and it's, it sucks stop please yeah i'm trying it, to convince me that this person is a good boyfriend he's not yeah like the book really like although the book does frame it like yeah there's problems in her relationship with tom the book frames it like it's still still salvageable like it's sad that there's strain with tom and we're supposed to be rooting for them to figure things out together yes, and i'm just because I'm just not they're so yeah they're so in love um and and i'm like I don't know, everything about their relationship, right? Okay, so they've known each other since second grade. So, like, since they were seven. And now they're, like, 16, 17, somewhere in there. Yeah, so, like, ten years. Yeah, and there's just, like, so much of their relationship that I just feel like it's very much, like, well, it's just always been this way. So, like, I've always just been with Tom. Like, what else am I going to do? And I, I hate that for her. 
Like, you can literally date anyone else. You can just not date at all. Have you considered going on, like, a trip by yourself and just, I don't know, discovering yourself a bit? There's this sort of, like, vibe of, like, oh, but they're meant to be together. And I'm like, okay, but show me where. Because all I see is a controlling asshole boyfriend who isn't there for her. Yeah. Um, and who is, in fact, blaming her for being preyed upon by this being from another world. Yes. Like, she chose this and wanted it to happen. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, I'm sorry, but this feels like he was a boy, she was a girl, can I make it any more obvious? And the answer is yes. Yes, you could, in fact. You could, like, make it clear why we are supposed to like him. Because as it stands, like, I just don't. No, I don't. I do not like him either. I am very much Team Julian on this yeah. one. Honestly, as far as Jenny's concerned, I'm Team uh, She Should Not Date or She Should Date D. Those are my only two <laughs> options. Yeah, uh, dump Tom, uh, escape Julian, and date D because D yeah. will treat you right. Go on a, like girls retreat with your besties and discover yourself that you are bye 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 <laughs> yeah honestly have a have a polycule with d and audrey that sounds great uh, yeah you know what i could also go for that and michael can come too because he's all right michael's a sweetheart that's fine yeah yeah, yeah. he's he's like he, i mean that zach is also okay i feel like uh i feel like michael's the only guy in this entire book who's just like not the worst <laughs> zach is okay zach is just kind of okay i do find it very funny that okay we know from the previous book that zach kind of has a thing for for jenny his cousin his cousin uh it's a little weird but it's there so that means that the two characters that have been taken at the end of this book are the two uh love rivals of julie that's like yeah he just eliminated rivals yeah he just eliminated both of the dudes that are into jenny yeah which i mean what a power move honestly oh for sure i do you You know you can't be in love if they don't exist do you know who i do feel bad for though i feel bad for brian yes the random guy that she went to the prom with he seemed fine yeah he was just like i just want to have a nice night and everything went to hell i got attacked but oh yeah he got attacked by the wolf didn't he yeah yeah Yeah. he did and he like got knocked out or something so he probably has a concussion yeah Um, and she she didn't she didn't explain anything to him she just like i I gotta go and like he was just trying to ha- he was just trying to ask out a pretty girl at school and he yeah he's just trying to live his normal ass teenage life and now he has to deal with this bullshit for like five seconds and you're just like man i'm so sorry that you just wrong place at the wrong time buddy <laughs> he brought her a corsage and everything he did all the yep. all the proper prom things and yes and, and was now, very polite. This very he seemed like a sweetheart, honestly. Yeah. He didn't deserve to be involved in any of this shit. <laughs> he went to prom and all he got <laughs> out of it was a concussion, so Yeah. Poor uh, Brian. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. I'm sure Julian uh does not feel bad about giving Brian a concussion though. 
I'm sure he does not. I'm pretty sure his stance on that was, how dare you <laughs> touch what is mine, you absolute fucking tool. Which I think is just his general mood towards any guy who has any romantic intentions towards her, so... Oh, definitely, definitely. He he especially hates Tom, which, I mean... I mean, same, bro. Like, I'll join, I'll join you on Team Tom Sucks. Yeah, definitely Team Tom Sucks. Yeah, admittedly coming from slightly different angles on that, but, like, he's not wrong. Exactly, exactly. Oh, so that's that's book two of the Forbidden Game. Um, yes, what, we find- we leave off with with Tom and Zach missing, and they have to go find them in book three. Uh, what are your final thoughts? God, I there's a lot about this book that I really liked. Um, basically, anything with Tom can go, but like, <laughs> I I loved all of the various like super creepy, super like suspenseful, tense, um, is this real or not moments at the beginning of the book. Yeah, and I I mean that chase scene at the end, I'm like. God, if I can ever write anything that great in my Ugh. life, I will feel very accomplished. That chase um, scene at the end is superb. It is. It's it's so well written. Um, the tension is just miles high. And, what, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what else to say about that one because I feel like I'll just stare and stutter all over my words just trying to be like no guys you don't understand it's so good um (laughs) the next five minutes um i will say that i think that out of the three books this one is the most um it's kind of the most like low-key the most forgettable yes i think that also though is very much um a trend in most middle anything like whether it's the second movie in a trilogy because it's usually setting up for whatever happens in the last quote-unquote episode yes um where like everything is coming to its huge crescendo of here's the big finale so you have the first book where you're like introducing everything and you're like oh oh no and then you have the second book where it's not really a book unto itself so much as like this is a a setup into what is actually the main event yeah like this isn't a beginning so it's not memorable but it's also not an ending so it's not memorable it's just like the in-between space yeah and Uh, i find that is true of basically any trilogy for any type of media yeah yeah usually i mean i think like i think the most notable exception would be like the og star wars movies like, Empire Strikes Back is generally considered yeah. the best of that trilogy. It is It is pretty good. But that is, um, that is an exception to a rule, I think. Yeah. Um, there, there are a lot of series where, like, the, the second book is often sort of uh, a, a pathway into... It's a getting... bridge. Yeah, it's a bridge. It's a bridge. So, um, it's not that it's bad it was very good uh it's just like it doesn't always have the same level of impact as a book one or a book three will have yeah exactly um which i like again i feel like that's true for most trilogies and that's not a bad thing per no se. and i still thought it was very good 
Yeah. Honestly. And if you, and like, if you were to read um, this trilogy as just a single story without it being like part one, part two, part three, like, it would be really, like, really great as the middle part of that story, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, so if we look at it as instead of like its own book standalone by itself, um, and as a part of a big book, mm-hmm. then yeah, it's it's a good part of a big book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I honestly do feel like these three books together function very well as a conglomerate story. I don't think I would ever just read any one yeah, of them I, by themselves. I feel like you could probably get away with reading just the first book. But once you've read the second book, you like you really can't because it is such a huge cliffhanger. Yeah, exactly. Point. Like the first book also ends on a cliffhanger, but it it's sort of like how Jumanji ended on a cliffhanger. Yeah, it's more. It's like, it's, yeah, you you could have a sequel, but you don't need one. Yeah, it's more um, open ended. Like, oh, he could yeah. come back, but maybe not. Yeah, woo, we don't know. Woo. We don't know. We'll have to wait and see. And lo and behold, he did come back. He did. He did indeed come back. Yes. But, uh, um, yeah, I loved this book. I loved it. Yeah. Just like I loved the first one. I think that L.J. Smith is a very good writer. I I concur. Um, especially in this series. Uh, I, if we ever read more of her books, I would love to see if her other series stand up to the same degree as this one does. Yeah, I'd be curious. Um, I'd also be curious to see, like, um, which like which came first kind of thing as far as like series go whether or not this was one of her earlier ones or one of her later ones i feel like it's one of her earlier ones um you gonna look it up yeah i'm just uh checking out her wikipedia right now because i do sort of feel um like sometimes obviously as you get further into your career uh trends change so your writing can sometimes change with it if you are writing Mm-hmm. to be published traditionally uh that is something you sort of have to keep in mind is that you need to be keeping up with what is current um and yes. what, the, what the kids are after these days uh so <laughs> uh it is possible that like her her tone of characters might have shifted uh as she got into like the 2000s um just because there is a certain you know, level of, well, this is what we wanted then, but this is what we want now, uh, that you have to sort of deal with, with, um, traditional publishing. Interestingly, it looks like, uh, the Vampire Diaries books came first, at least the, like, the original first series of four Mm, books were all published in 1991 and 1992, and then, um, the Forbidden Game series was published in 1994, Oh, so probably ho- her second series, theoretically. Ho- holy shit, Squid. What? Yeah, yeah. There Pixie. is yes. a to-be-announced release date for a book four in the Forbidden Game series. Shut the front door. Really? It's called re- Rematch. In this, the year of our Lord, 2023, we could be getting a fourth installment to this series. We could be getting a fourth installment to this series, according to Wikipedia, because it says, uh, 
The Hunter, The Chase, and The Kill all published 1994, and then it says rematch to be announced. Oh, fingers crossed, because I... Listeners, when we get to book three, you will understand why I'm just sitting here vibrating right now. Um, (laughs) I genuinely did not know this information before uh, this moment. (laughs) And uh, I would absolutely love a fourth fourth installment (laughs) if that is the case. That would be fan-fucking-tastic. I would buy that the second it came out. Oh, Holy no, yeah, shit. we would we'd be like, where's the pre-order button? Give it yeah. to me. As soon as a pre-order is available, it is uh, definitely... Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. The second the second they are, like, hit publish, I'm going to be like, okay, so we're scheduling, like, a reading date together because I, I need to know. I need to know. I'll die. Um, not literally, but in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> if i tell right? you it the second the second it's available yeah 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 same 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 Hard just thing. like hey let's book off work and <laughs> I, i'm sorry i must like it's take, 1994 <laughs> i must take uh three days off work oh why are you going on vacation no a book is coming out a book a bu- i need to book? spend every second of my life reading actually a, a, a book yes and if I don't read it the second it comes out, I'll die and never return. So precisely, it is in precisely. your best interest to let me <laughs> to let me off that. <laughs> oh goodness! I don't. I feel like that would not fly at work, but at the same time, no, the thought does make me laugh inside. Well, listen, you don't have you don't have to tell them why you're booking time off. That is true. <laughs> you do. You make an excellent point. Uh-huh. Uh, like, I'm taking a mental health day to read this book. <laughs> to read this book, precisely. All right. Uh, well, I think I think that's about as much as we can say about The Chase. Yes, and next week we'll return talking about one of our favorite tropes, whichever one we choose for you, dear listeners. And uh, thank you for joining us again this week. And uh, we'll see you in the next one. Yes. Um, where where can the people find you, Squid? I am on Archive of Our Own at Frick Frack Paddywhack. And uh, that's it, because social media destroys my soul. Yeah, very fair. You can find my blog, rosesbooks.home.blog. That is where I review um erotic and adult novels as well as where you can find all of my own books um and books that me and squid have written together yes and so and those are all available for free they are yes i mean uh my my books that i have written on my own are 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 not are not but but the books that we me and squid have have written together are are free web novels so yes up on our website at Mm -hmm. dan Dandelion L at WordPress. Dandelionl.wordpress.com. Thank you for having words <laughs> on this day. My brain brain is not good this day. I did my best. Thank you for <laughs> being patient with me. Uh, and uh, with that, we'll see you next week. See ya. Bye.